In this episode, we dive into another bad therapy story, this one around mentoring and motherhood and boundaries, and this is an interesting one. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. We are licensed marriage and family therapists that are kind of into the polyvagal theory. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. If you're one of the super fans, stick around after the main topic. Uh, I do have an announcement about the upcoming uh, Stuck Not Broken episodes. Uh, starting with episode 101 and beyond. I've also got a request or two of you. And then, well, right now we have to do a few disclaimers. Mercedes, I've been been, uh, a lot more clear about this disclaimer stuff. So you're you're new to this, but here I I got five disclaimers I got to put out there before uh, we go into the episode. Yeah. Number one, as always, put yourself first. We keep every episode as safe as we can, but just by the nature of the topics, you may experience some stuff come up. Take a break if you need to. Number two, this is not therapy, not a replacement for therapy, not specific advice on what to do as a therapist or how to be as a client in therapy either. This is just general discussion for the purposes of education and entertainment. Number three, we will be treating this uh, as a narrative with fictional characters in it. Now, this was submitted by a real person, but neither Mercedes nor I know the factual realities of this or any other bad therapy story. So we're just treating this as a story that was that a... we are aware of and has fictional characters in it. This number four, this is an opportunity to discuss some norms of therapy and some of what are absolutely not norms. That's kind of the of why we're doing this. And number five, these are our own thoughts on this situation. This is not intended to be comprehensive of all ethical, legal, or clinical implications. There's probably stuff that we're gonna miss. And I think that is it for my disclaimers. Okay. <laughs> but I have to put this out there. That's a that's a hefty list. It has, uh, the, the list has started to grow here, especially with bad therapy. And then at the end of every, every episode, I now do disclaimers as well, just to oh, wow. cover my bases. I, I talked I to a, a lawyer about this stuff yeah. and yeah. I think that's safe. Yeah. Mercedes, uh, welcome back to the podcast hey, this episode. The bad you. therapy ones are not the same without you. I, in a weird way, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> Does that sound weird? <laughs> no, not at all. All right, is it okay if we just jump into it? Let's we jump got into another it. hefty I, one here. I, I'm going blind again lately. Like, yes. I have no idea what is going on. So <laughs> you just read them at me and I react. I think it's more dynamic this way. I, have, <laughs> I personally have more fun this way. It makes me so. a little squirmier this way. I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable yeah. when I don't have the visual in front of me. But. but is it a playful energy or is it too much of a sympathetic flight energy? No, I th- it's, pl- I, it's more playful. All right, so this one, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Make up a, a name. What's this person's name going to be? Jennifer. Jennifer uh, shared this bad therapy story uh, with us. I took a lot out, but there's still a lot here to go into. So here we go. Jennifer says, first of all, this therapist worked with me as my academic mentor. And she says in parentheses, that was the title of her job. So she worked with me as my academic mentor at university, though through a mentoring company. I have bipolar disorder and OCD, and her job was to help me manage my mental health and my studies. So the therapeutic process was supposed to be centered around my academic struggles. So we'll stop there. And I think there's some some uh, pieces to discuss so far. So no, nothing awful. There's no, no bad therapy ha- you know, happening thus far, right? Right. Well, there's no therapy but, of any sort happening thus far there based on the parameters. We're given. And there is bullet point number one. Yeah. So thus far <laughs> with this role, um, I don't think there should be a therapeutic process. Now, the role, no matter what, should always be clarified, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So you can laugh out loud. <laughs> I mean, Mercedes laughed with the what. I just don't know if people know... <laughs> Because I think you do that intentionally to make me laugh because it's hilarious. And we've had conversations about the the the, the H and the W yeah. sound. But, yeah. okay. So <laughs> e- even though people come to us and you were in private practice and we both work for a school district right now, I'm in private practice right now at nighttime. Mm-hmm. We still have to clarify what we do. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. All okay. the time. So that should be, I'm sorry, that's, that should absolutely be a, um, a conversation happening in... Um, Wow, I want to say episode one, but what I mean is session one. <laughs> okay, that should be happening as session one. Therapeutic session one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mercedes, something you don't know about, actually no one knows, is I have taken on a mentee oh. of my own. We, we chat once a week about polyvagal stuff, and that's just starting. 
But the first time that she and I talked, we talked about our roles, my role specifically, Mm -hmm. and how I'm different than a clinical supervisor and how I'm different than a teacher or her uh, practicum placement person or anybody else that comes into her life. That So we, we discuss like, what am I bringing to you that is different than what you'd be getting anywhere else? Like these are conversations that happen right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So if, if this person here, this mentor should be, in my opinion, talking about this right off the bat. The other thing here is I, I hired a coach. We talked right off the bat. She said, I'm not a therapist. This is what I do. I think that's the norm, I think, no matter who you're working with, like what are professional you bring in your life. And if there, one last thing that I'll say here is that if there is more than one provider that roles, like I said, need to be differentiated, I, I had to discuss with my mentee, what am I doing this different than what everybody mm-hmm. else is doing? Okay, so uh, the last thing I said was supposed to be centered around my academic struggles. And then Jennifer says, but this is not what happened. Uh-oh. The therapist was always very clear with me that she is a BACP, British Association for Counseling and Psychotherapy. So BACP accredited, accredited, sorry, therapist, and that she was going to abide by their ethical framework. It has therefore been my impression that she was bound by the framework, whether she was working in her private practice as a therapist or as an academic mentor for people with mental health problems. So I can see your face. So you're, I know. you're, you're looking confused. <laughs> and that's, I think it's the appropriate, it is kind of confusing. Well, here, here's what was going through my head. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. That's Mercedes Corona, LMFT. But if I decide to take up like, like a chef like role at a restaurant, I'm not going to be like, guess what, guys? Tonight I'm your chef, but I'm bound by the the ethical guidelines of the of the MFT license. Uh, so I'm going to be treating your your meal tonight. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Like they're two separate things. All right, so let's move on here. What this therapist did to me has really traumatized me. I don't know why she did it but it was an unspeakably painful experience that I am still trying to recover from. And it's so humiliating because I'm an adult who was turned into a child, a small girl with all my childhood injuries on display. I made myself so vulnerable for this woman. I allowed myself to trust her completely, and then she let me down. She left me in pieces, and the amount of shame I have felt as a result of what happened between us has made me want to destroy myself several times. So we still haven't gotten into the specifics, but this to me speaks to the importance of a therapist or even a mentor in somebody's life and how important right. it is that we treat that with lots of respect. Absolutely. We have a big impact on people for better or worse, right? Absolutely. Especially when um, people are coming to us in, in their vulnerable state. And I feel like I say this a lot when we talk about these things, but people are coming to us, whatever whatever form of specialist we are, the mental health professionals, they're coming to us in the most vulnerable of states emotionally, seeking guidance and support and encouragement and help of some sort and and being open to to giving of themselves. What am I trying to say? Giving that most vulnerable part of themselves to someone else. And so there's so much opportunity there for I guess taking advantage of it if that's if that's what you're if that's what you're set up to do. Yeah, the the power differential here, and we, we've talked about that mm-hmm. in but other bad therapy episodes. Mm-hmm. But there's a huge opportunity. I don't like that word for this, but opportunity to take advantage. Yeah, to take advantage of someone in that state. Yeah. Yeah. Jennifer says, "I usually make sure I don't let people get that close to me, and I fought long and hard against her attempts to break through my barriers, or what she called my veneer of scorn and rejection. Oh. But, but unfortunately, I eventually lost that battle." And then I was a child, and she was the loving mother I never had. Oh, goodness. That's a huge, that's a huge boundary crossed right there. Uh, well, so we haven't got into how, but... Mm-hmm, but already, just the way she's, yeah, like, describing it. This is not, a, I mean, yeah, we're not in the mentor role, at least on one side of things. Um, there, that is, I would really hope that my clients would never... Uh, be in a place of wondering about our my role or our relationship or you know right. what I mean like this I would I, I always give permission for my clients to give feedback and clarify things and I ask for feedback during the session mm-hmm. and after the session and how are we doing now and so it's like there's these constant check-ins about how things are going that mm-hmm. if, if, I, if a client of mine ever wondered about my role in their life I would 
be like, whoa, I really messed up. Somewhere along the lines, I mm-hmm. personally, this is me. Mm-hmm. I got things wrong, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm having a really hard time with like, like screaming red flags in my head of like, if, if a client were to ever see me as a mother or feel like they are a child to my parent role, that feels super, super inappropriate to me. H- how do you get there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I do want to say here that we, I think we need to be really careful about what we pathologize. Mm-hmm. Uh, therapists, like we said, we have our opinion. We're looked at as experts. And so our opinion goes a long way. So when we say that there's a veneer of scorn mm-hmm. and rejection or whatever we label and name, but if we're pathologizing it, that could potentially be not helpful. So our words, our labels, our explanations, they carry a lot of weight. People are coming to us out of desperation, like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. It carries a lot of weight. So I think we have to be really careful about what we label as a pathology or what terms we're making up because it sounds like, oh, this sounds like a, a thing. Mm-hmm. And this expert that I'm coming mm-hmm. to and desperate for help from is saying this. So therefore, there's it's tr- there's truth in there and I, I'm missing out on something. I'm not getting it. But this person does. And that's not the dynamic that we want. Um, also... Therapy, in my opinion, is not a battle. Um, This one, she said that she fought long and hard against attempts to break through barriers. As a therapist, I'm not trying to break through barriers. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be with the client as much as I possibly can and hopefully allow that client to open up more and more if if they choose to. But there's no battle. There's no barrier. Like, there's no, I'm not trying to, like, break down barriers exactly. If there's resistance to therapy from, like, a teenager, I try to roll with it. But sometimes you do have to kind of come on head on and. Be like, look, do you want to change or not? Like, look, <laughs> yeah. life's not going very well for you. How much longer do you want to do this? Like, I can see that. Sure. That might be within the norm, I would say. But um, typically, it's not a battle. I wouldn't call therapy a battle. Especially not between the therapist and the client. Right. So, and I think we should always be respecting what a client is capable of and what they're willing to do. Yeah. And so far, it sounds like there's a flavor of that not happening. Right. All right. Jennifer goes on and says, honestly, my mother is okay. She may not be the most affectionate person in the world, but that doesn't make her bad. However, this therapist made it very clear early on that my parents failed me and that she would have done things very differently if she had been my mom. She even gave me specific examples, and she also used to compare me to her own children. Oh, gosh. So kind of see oh, where gosh. there's some lines, some boundaries yes. being blended here between therapist and mentor and mother. Goodness gracious. Again, the therapist is extremely important in someone's life. Advice giving, explaining those things that we do where we explain and we try and give rationales, we try to give advice. We have to handle this really carefully, in my opinion, Um, especially if we're trying to convince somebody of something. And it sounds like there's a a bit of that going on where, like she said, my, my mom's okay. She's not the most affectionate, but that's not bad, right? But the impression she got from the therapist and the stories that the therapist is attempting to convince her, mm-hmm. like, no, she wasn't good enough. And that's not therapy, in my well, opinion. Well, it sounds like there's assumptions there being made by the therapist. And one of the things that – it's something I continue to – I don't want to say struggle with, but it's something I kind of have to, like, actively remind myself is that my opinion of my clients, mm. parents, sisters, brothers, family, whoever, is my opinion and not theirs. And so I have to remind myself to check in and say, hey, how do you feel about your mom? Did you feel that your mom was okay? Because I can't assume your mom was super crap, dude. I, I can't assume that because I think it matters what the person has to say. And and there's some argument there, I think, that can be made about, you know, distorted um, distorted thinking and, and skewed um, perspective, of course, but still no, no work is going to be done. No movement forward is going to be made if the therapist and the client aren't in the same place. And that means that the therapist has to meet the client in their place. So to assume your mom was crap to this client is completely unfair to the client because, I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling now. It just it just seems incredibly irresponsible. I, I would say so also. Um, I think it's totally okay to say, hey, this is what I'm hearing. Sure. You know, we don't, we don't convince, hey, your mom's bad. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's what the therapist attempted to do exactly, but it sounds like it's along those lines. Right. So we we can say like that we we noticed that when you described growing up, it didn't sound like there was a whole lot of love expressed. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying, hey, I'm noticing that when you describe this, 
this is what I'm hearing or this is what I'm not hearing. And tell me if I got this correct or not. And I, that's something as a therapist I do a lot is I say, hey, did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Or I'll, I'll tell them, you know, I'll give them permission to say, like, if I'm talking out of my ass, let me know. But this is what I'm hearing. And did I get that right or not? Or am I on, I'm on, the, am I on the right path? And they, they can say yes or no. And if the answer is no, I'm going to believe them because they right. are the expert on their own right. life. And that's what they bring to the table. And we're supposed to be the expert on psychology and whatnot. And that's what I bring to the table. So that's, we meet in the middle, right? Right. Gosh, I'm just imagining this lady sitting there like, yeah, your mom was terrible. And the client's like, but was she? Sorry, that's just an aside. It's not though. I mean, that, but that's, I think, central to this of like, there's a, there's a divide between the two parties involved here. Mm-hmm. And really they should be side by side working together, not literally, but right. side by side working together on a shared goal. And right now it's a huge divide and there's convincing going on and uh, pathologizing and whatnot. This, this calls back the, the imagery of the battle. I, I, I see why she described it that way. Okay, so let's continue with what Jennifer has to say. Jennifer says, quite often she would say things like, Oh, no. Quite often she would say things like, I wish I could follow you around all the time with my arms wrapped around you to keep you safe. Ew. Ew. Okay. And one time when she seemed particularly concerned about me, she banged her fist on the table and said something along the lines of, Damn it. I don't want to let you leave. What? <laughs> what? So it was this constant theme of, I will protect you. What is that? <laughs> yeah. What is happening? Yeah. It's a, it's a really delicate balance we have to play as therapists to, to guide a client down the path that they want to go, but not pull them down the path. And, and the idea is always keeping the control of their lives in their own hands. And this therapist sounds like she is using multiple, op- not, I don't know if it's actively using, but I'm, I'm just going to say that, that she's using multiple opportunities to highlight how she is the one who can help the client and she's the one who can fix everything and she's the one who can make everything better rather than allowing the client to see how the client can do it themselves. Completely agree. Oh. I'm, I didn't even, yeah, you're, you're right. Absolutely. Um, as we said earlier, emotionally desperate people come to therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Seeking safety and seeking trust, mm-hmm. seeking co-regulation, seeking connection. Mm-hmm. So when we have that emotional desperation, and, and probably a very dysregulated for anybody mm-hmm. that goes to therapy, there's probably a, potentially a very dysregulated, uh, emotionally desperate person coming mm-hmm. to therapies. And when you combine that with someone who is in a position of power, um, that could be a very delicate mix, mm-hmm. right? With potentially very awful results if the person in power is going to manipulate mm-hmm. it. There's a flavor of that going on here. And to me, this is similar to dysfunctional or abusive relationship mm-hmm. dynamics. Mm-hmm. And what we have in this situation is two people trying to get their own needs met. And one of them just happens to have more power in the room, I think. Mm-hmm. Thera- the therapist just by the nature of it being being looked at as the expert, being looked at as the person who has it together more or less, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's real or not is a separate thing. Correct. But that's how we're viewed. <laughs> so that it, this is a really scary combination if you have a therapist or, I mean, anybody, a boss, a, um, a coach, a mentor. If you have someone who's in their own dysregulated state trying to get their own needs met, through this position, or a politician, by the way, also, through a position of power, that just popped in my mind. Sure, sorry. sure, sure. Trying to get their own needs met. Um, that's This is a very scary dynamic yeah. that is being set up. So let's keep that in mind as we... Let's continue. Mm-hmm. Trudge along here. Mm-hmm. You ready? Once she told me, I should never have been your mentor. I should have been your therapist. Oh, gosh. Or your mother. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what the actual f- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> Continue. 
She also once said, if I were your mother, I would be so proud of you. She used to say, I want you to be my girl. Oh, gosh. She also once uttered this gem. You don't need a mentor or even a therapist. What you really need is me. Stop. Stop. I'm sorry. It wasn't me, Mercedes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Ew. Again, this is, this is, oh, gross. <laughs> do you feel it? Like, do you, you feel feeling, it? Right? I'm feeling, I'm, I'm getting charged up. Like, I am actively but the upset. Gro- right. But, the, right. But the gross feeling, you, you can feel it. Yes. The you and the yes. like, what? And you feel this visceral, I can see it oh, in you. Oh, gosh. Again, like, again, this is yeah. the whole thing of like, me, I'm your savior. I'm the one that you right. need. You have no control over or power over your own life. It's it's just me. And I like I don't know if I'm making her sound like a super villain or something in this at this point, but I I don't think that was ever the well, I don't know, but I'm not assuming that was the intention, but that's that's the therapist taking away any control and empowerment from the client. And our job is to do the opposite, is to empower them to do what they need in their lives and to feel like they can take care of their own things. Not, not just me. I'm, I'm the one that you need. I'm your knight in shining armor. Cause who would that benefit? Just, just the, therapist. the therapist. This does not benefit the client. Right. At, at the end of the relationship, cause the relation, theoretically the therapeutic relationship ends, right? At the end of that right. relationship, what is this client left with? Not theoretically. It should end. Yes. Well, I'm saying there is an end point. And, and at that point, what is the client left with? But, well, so-and-so is the only person that can fix my life. So I'm, I have no idea what to do. And like the client ends up worse off in the end than in the beginning, which is, again, not the point of therapy. Quite the opposite, in fact. I can't disagree with anything you said. Um, and Please I'm, don't. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's Please it. Please don't. Now, the only thing I will say here, um, if, the ther- so the therapist therapist said i would have or i would be so proud of you so can therapists be proud of their clients yeah i think, I think so. so sure yeah i feel pride in my Absolutely. clients when they're, when they're successful and sometimes i'll say like, i'm really proud of you for that yeah. great job you know or at least for my teen clients with my older with my adult clients i don't really say i'm proud of you that seems a little eh. <laughs> but um it doesn't seem right but i will say hey you got this you're doing a great job keep it up mm-hmm you know, so it's, I think it's okay. And can therapists express their pride? I think so. I think so. But the way it sounds, well, this, I don't, this doesn't seem like it. <laughs> this doesn't seem like a rooting on, but, a cheerleading, but it wasn't just, uh, a bolstering of right, someone. It wasn't, it wasn't just, I'm proud of you and I'm proud of your efforts. It was, if I was your mother, I would be proud of you. You know what I mean? Like that's... <laughs> That's super gross. It's super gross. Yes, it is. Oh. Okay. Are you ready to go on? I'm so ready. <laughs> In one of our last sessions, she was holding me while I was crying. And she started to make up a story in which I was a small child. And she was teaching me how to ride a horse. <laughs> it definitely seemed like she was my mom in that story. And in parentheses, she put, horses was one of the interests that we had in common. <sighs> just, Mercedes just going to sit this one out. She just leaned back um, and she's just shaking her head. I got to take a break. <laughs> so stories, let's talk about stories. Stories can be important in therapy. Mm-hmm. Even made up ones if, if I think, if they come from the client. So stories, imagination, dreams, memories. Uh, I think these are all instrumental I think story follows state, so that's yes. that can tell us a lot about someone's state. Yes. But as stories comes up or dreams come up, I think it's great to like go into these things. It can be very helpful if we can be mindful of the experience of the story and not look not like what what is what does that object represent and that, that kind of thing, but more of like, hey, when you tell me the story, how are you feeling right now? What's the experience of telling right, the story? Right, right. Or um, in that dream where you were running away from that person, like what did it feel like? Because that that can tell you a lot about. Um, your inner state. So stories can be really important, but me, I don't think I've ever, I, I know I've never told a story 
I'll share metaphors or uh, maybe examples or analogies, but creating a story for somebody, not really. And now I think this would probably be different than a guided meditation where you're creating a story or a scene, but that's a technique that's like, hey, let's do this guided meditation. That, that's that that seems different to me mm-hmm. than than this. This seems a bit different, or a lot different. <laughs> I think a lot different. <laughs> um, I've I've I'm trying to remember. I feel like I've told stories before, but not with almost like as a grounding technique. I guess um, telling a story of um, but yeah, but yeah, it, it would feel like almost like a combination of a story and a guided meditation, something to soothe and to calm a person. And, and again, I, I work mostly with, with children. We'll tell stories about, you know, Mm. teddy bears and the, you know, whatever kid stuff. Um, But I've, I've never included myself in that story as like you and I are in this together and I'm the one that's going to get you there. That's never going to be a part of the story ever, 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 ever. Ever, ever, ever. Because it's not about me, the therapist. It's about you, the client. And so whatever technique I'm using in therapy, be it a story or guided meditation or talk therapy or play therapy or whatever, the point is to get you to where you want to be. And my only role is to help you get there, not anything else. Not be a part of your journey, not... God, it's... Yeah. Yeah, this this story in particular was it happened while the person was crying and while the therapist was holding her, and the story directly involved the therapist in again this role of savior. Right. Well, it was teaching how to ride a horse, which is a which is not therapy. That's um, again like a parental kind of thing, a coach kind of thing, maybe like a horse riding coach, like a literal horse riding coach, maybe. (laughs) But with all the other dynamics in play. And considering this happened while the person was crying and, and really mm-hmm. just kind of desperate and probably in a very shut down place, um, the dynamics here again are of the saviorish kind of thing, right? Yeah. Of uh, of I you you need me in order to right 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 feel better or yeah. I was str- I, for some reason I didn't catch this the first time, but just now that you were saying it, I'm so confused about why the need for the story in that moment, because for me, like if a client is. In, in an emotional state of just crying. And, and I'm assuming if they need to be held, they're crying. They're like sobbing, you know, not just like a couple tears sliding down their cheek, but like letting it out. So in that moment, why tell us, why incorporate this story technique then? Why not just let that person emote, let, let it just kind of be, exist in that moment? Because that would be healthy. Well, it- <laughs> I'm, I'm not talking about the holding. That's a separate thing. But being with somebody as they self-regulate mm-hmm. or as they receive co-regulation, like healthy co-regulation, mm-hmm. and then self-regulate or do both, um, that requires respecting them as an individual who is capable of self-regulation or receiving co-regulation and self-regulating. Mm-hmm. And in this dynamic, that's not that's just not right. a piece of the, the dynamic here. So it is interesting that when we're in a very shut down place and we're crying, to me, that is we're a very like a literal dorsal vagal shutdown, and we're coming. The crying to me is is a part of it, maybe coming out of it. I think because crying requires like shaking and convulsing mm-hmm. and rapid breathing, and so that's kind of some sympathetic mm-hmm. energy too. So it's this interesting dynamic of energy coming out, but also being in a very shut down place. I think so. If you allow someone to come out of that, that's going to help exercise their capacity to do so on their own. It builds a really healthy level of self-regulation and independence. If you allow it, witness it, and maybe throw in some co-regulation and, and whatnot. But when you're instrumental and you're a direct part of that process, you're embedding yourself right. into their regulation, right. I think. So that that's kind of my conceptualization is now, not just I'm with you, but here's a story, here's a narrative that you can now associate with your own self-regulation. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. it's, 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 um, it's, to me, it's like this tainted kind of process right. of, cool, like I can self-regulate or I can let out some stuck energy, cry it out. But now instead of it being like, I did that, I was mm-hmm. with my feelings and I did that, I accomplished that, it's now I have this story. And it's it makes me think of um, like in the military, you go to boot camp and they break you down. Mm-hmm. 
like they really they break you down, break you down, break you down, and then build you up with this new narrative. I think of being in the military, the army, or whatever it is, and supporting whatever government's doing that, right? So the United States would be like, you're a soldier, you fight for your country, and we're going to tear you down and build you back up with that being your foundation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I making I'm sense? Following, I, I'm following, I'm not sure how that ties into. So with this, we have someone who's already in an emotionally desperate place, mm-hmm. already broken mm-hmm. down. And then we have someone who is building them up with a new foundation of the therapist. Exactly. So it's like, I'm going to build, I will build you up. Right. I will give you the foundation. I will be this new parental role right. for you. Your new sense of self so requires it, my incorporation into your life. Yes. With the military, it's like purpose. With this one, it's, I don't know if we, I don't see a purpose quite yet, but there is that, um, that the therapist is not the purpose, but is integral to that person's well-being. Now with the military, that's a purpose, it's a foundation. But it's different than this, which I'm hearing is extremely unhealthy mm-hmm. as far as like this person's sense of self is severely compromised by the therapist, mm-hmm. potentially. Does that make, yeah. Am I making yeah. sense? All right. I'm just trying, I'm putting my thoughts into words. So hopefully it's, we haven't really talked about this That's before, so works. hopefully it's uh, coming across. Stop. <laughs> <sighs> you were Funny. asking about the holding. And I was yeah. thinking about that. Um I think I think you and I might have different perspectives on it just because of the gender thing. Because um, I mm. think as a male therapist, you have to have different um, that boundaries. I don't know what the word is. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and hell to yeah. be yeah. clear, <laughs> I've never held a client. I've never like held okay. them while sobbing, not sobbing, n- none right, of that. Right, right, right. Um, I would consider it only if... It was something that came from them as a request and and with a couple of other factors in mind, for example, you know, like history of sexual abuse or or different forms of trauma, you sure. know, having just a lot of different factors in mind. Um, but I would never, never, never um, impose it on a client or even offer right. it um, unless there was not unless until they requested it. And then it would be like, I, and honestly, because I was imagining it and I was thinking like, hold it, like the way I hold my children when they're upset or the way I hold my husband when I'm upset or he's upset or what, like, I don't know, a, a hug maybe, an arm around the shoulder, but again, only per request and, and not all my clients. It wouldn't, it wouldn't happen across the board. Yeah. So the way that look might not be what, well, what we're imagining because with yeah. this story, right? touching in therapy in and of itself is pretty iffy Mm -hmm. this seems like have well some major touch going on through hug or not hugs but holding um i would think that if that was part of your and again we're talking about a mentor not a therapist but we're we're kind of responding to therapy because she's acting and saying she's a therapist so touch in therapy is pretty iffy Mm -hmm. and i think that there's probably an appropriate kind of like somatic experiencing they use touch and that there's probably some training that goes on that's not therapy um but there's at least a foundational uh, model of touch and how that could be or i think it's called reiki reiki it's, it involves touch so at least there's like a foundation of uh conceptualization about of like how touch can be therapeutic and there's training in it probably it's part of a, an informed consent for us in therapy, I mean, that's not part of my informed consent. I don't touch my clients. I mean, I, I work virtually, but even well, right. even, us, even in person, I'm not going to, I just don't do that. So I, I would assume that if touch is a part of therapy, that would, I would assume that would be in the like informed consent, or I, I think it should be personally. Yeah. That this is a, mo- a, a technique that we're going to use. This is when it's appropriate. This is what it'll look like. And there'll be an opportunity for that person to ask questions about it and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know? But that's not that's not this. No, no, it's not. What is this? <laughs> All right, ready for more Mercedes? Obviously, I am. Yes. For this next part, this might be slightly out of order, Mercedes. I I piecemeal put this together because it came to me in a few different chunks. So this might have happened right before the things we we just said, but okay. I I think it's important here. All right. So Jennifer says at some point she started to ask me if I wanted a hug. She kept saying how much she wanted to give me one. 
And then when I finally let her hug me, she said, I love you. Nope, 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 no, no, capital N, capital O, no. Yeah, yeah, I agree. No. I agree on that. You don't express to your clients, I love you? No. No, neither do I. N, O, no. No. I cannot that, no, I'm sorry. I'm stuck. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's just hugely into the parental role. This is not a therapeutic technique of saying I love you. That's not something we no. ever were taught about in therapy school no. or, or supervisors recommended. That's no. not that's not it's not a therapeutic intervention. Yeah. Now, what I want to point out here is that we've pointed out a couple times that there is a flavor of, or I did maybe I did of like an like an abusive relationship, and I'm not saying this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, being abused in the sense of being hit and whatnot, mm-hmm. but it's the it's the uh, power dynamics of an abusive relationship. The manipulation. Yeah. So if we follow the flow of events here, now we're upping the ante. Now we're including physical affection, mm-hmm. but then pushing it even further and imposing that I love you. Now, to me, this is someone who's testing the waters and and really consistently just pushing, pushing. Like, what can I get away with? And this is pretty. I don't know this therapist. I'm, I just, I'm again, again, I'm treating this as a just informational, like there's something to learn from here. I don't know the actual person. I have no idea. I don't know their name. I don't know what they look like. I don't know their history. Nothing. So I'm not talking about the specific person. But with this flavor of what's happening of the behavior, t- to me, this is this is like an abuser who pushes, pushes, pushes until they, re- I, maybe, I don't know what, that, what goes on in their mind, but until they realize, oh, I can get away mm-hmm. with this. And then actually become abusive and again i don't know i don't specialize in in that but but this relationship developing you can see like the pushing of like and it's the same thing with our last bad therapy story of uh wendy going out to for drinks and paying for meals and paying for broadway or whatever it was there was just constant like pushing of what What can i get away with Uh yeah so that's what i'm seeing here is the physical affection but it started off as you know hey this is my role and then going into Kind of but therapy. was it? Did she ever really say this is my role? This is my title. She knew her. She knew her. Yeah, she knew her title, and then she said, "But I'll be abiding by God. these norms for my other profession." So already, it's that's like a little push. Mm-hmm. And then every time that we're okay with that little mm-hmm. push, then that that wrong that person who is in it for the wrong reasons is gonna like, okay, well push, push a, little a little bit more. I don't know if they're consciously have a blueprint for this, but. But I think we can see that's what ha- what's happening, right? But keep these things in mind. Jennifer says, this terrified me. Rightly it was so. just before the Christmas. Rightly so. Yeah. It was just before the Christmas break, and I had a complete breakdown between then and the next session in mid-January. I emailed her several times, desperately trying to quit. I was so afraid of her power to hurt me because I loved her too. But I was never going to say that to her. I wanted her to be my mom, but I was never going to say that either. But suddenly, with those three words, it became so painfully real. She convinced me to stay, to keep seeing her. When I finally dared to ask her about what she had said a few weeks later, her response was, the words just came out, but I do. I really do love you, babe. Yuck. What the hell is happening inside this therapist? Oh, my gosh. So this is what I got from that. I mean, obviously, severely just distorted relationship here mm-hmm. this is nowhere near therapy no um th- these two are not working together I-, I i have no sense of a coherent goal that they were collaborating on um this seems very jumbled up in roles obviously but this to me again speaks to that abusive testing the waters kind of thing because now when someone speaks up and says hey this isn't right or i don't i want this to change rather than saying you know what you're right i f-ed up and I respect your wishes and I respect you and I can take ownership for what I've done. Rather than doing that, the person plays innocent and says, I don't know, it just mm-hmm. came out. But I do. I do feel that way. And I and uh, I really do love you, babe. Gross. So that's like minimizing and playing innocent. And this is manipulative. This is very manipulative, manipulative. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is not someone who respects their client as an individual who is capable of making change right. and just meeting them halfway. 
this is um this is this is very manipulative yeah. but obviously jennifer is seeing it as a therapeutic relationship because that's what it feels like that's how the therapist is yeah. is performing and like or, or kind of <laughs> well just not with any therapeutic norms right. but yeah i yeah. got you i got you God, I don't even know what I don't know. I don't know what I was gonna say about that. It just it's <laughs> killing me that it's um it just, like it hurts my soul to hear that there's therapists yeah. out there that are doing this kind of stuff. And it, it, as soon as a client says to me, "I'm done. I don't want to anymore," my first the first thing I say out of my mouth is, "Okay, can we talk about it? What's going on? What happened? Can I help you get to somebody who can help you?" someone else yeah. who who can benefit you. It sounds like I'm not benefiting you. That would be appropriate. And and that's totally okay. And how can I help you get what you need? Rather than doubling down and saying, I don't know, have some more. <laughs> I love you, babe. I'm with you. I have uh, nothing to add to that, I don't mm. think. Okay, so Jennifer goes on. She says, as we were getting close to the end, I told her, it feels like my mom doesn't want me anymore. And her immediate response was, I do want you, Gross. babe. Holy. That's so disgusting that this therapist, this person has distorted this relationship to this extent. I'm very angry. I'm going to try and control my tone. Gosh. She says, I do want you, babe. No hesitation whatsoever. I don't think it was just in my head. I really think she was trying to be a mother to me. But why she did that, I do not know. That remains a mystery. So what I want to say about this is that therapeutic intervention should not be a mystery. Mm -hmm. If we as a therapist can't describe why we're doing something, we're probably, like, that's a problem. Right. We're probably making it up. And, and like, we're not robots, so that's okay in a way, but we should be able to, to, not, I don't want to say rationalize, we should be able to explain, oh, that, that's why this is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, or this, that's my, at least that's my intent and did it help you or not? And if not, then okay, that, then that's it. I'll try something else yeah. next time if, if we're implementing some sort of an, uh, intervention. Mm-hmm. So if, if we can't describe why we're doing something, I, I don't know. That's a, all I can say is that seems like a big problem to me. It is. It's a huge problem. I, and I like how you said, you know, we're not robots because I know there have been a few times in my career where, I always, I always, always, always tell the clients and the parents, because I work with kids, I always tell the clients and the parents, if you ever feel confused or are just wondering, just curious about why it is I did what I did, please ask. And so there have been a few times where people are like, well, why did you ask me that? Or why did you go there? And I, I was thinking how you said, like, we're not robots. I don't always know in the moment why I've done a thing, but I can always explain it. You know, once I've kind of thought, because... Some, like you trust some your of it gut comes, at yeah, first. Yeah, it's second nature now. It, I just like, yeah, yeah, I'm in therapist yeah. mode and I, and I do that. And so in the moment, I can't always be like, oh, here's why I'm doing da-da-da thing. But if you ask me, hey, Mercedes, why did you ask me that question? Or why did we do this intervention? Or, or you know, whatever the question is. I'll be able to say, here, here was my intention. Here's what I hope you gain from it. Here's yeah. how I hope it benefits you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you said, like maybe, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. Let me know if it didn't work. I'd like to, you know switch it up or whatever you are a therapist as far as i can tell who's fairly self-regulated sure is grounded in um her, her own personal values for herself and humanity mm-hmm. and her cl- the client she works mm-hmm. with and you seem like an empathetic person that does not want to come cause harm so you trusting your gut i i don't have an issue with that mm-hmm. but if a therapist who doesn't have those pieces is like oh, i'm just gonna trust my gut and wing it <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It might look like this. It might look like this. Yeah. So if you have a concern, in my opinion, if you have a concern about an intervention, it's okay to ask for permission to implement it. So if I'm going to be a little more aggressive with the client and like really challenge them, I'll say, hey, I kind of want to challenge you. Is is that okay? And they'll be like, yeah, go ahead. That's why I hire you. Like, please call me out if if I need to be called out, Mm -hmm. right? Like, okay, here we go. So then I'll, I'll kind of lay it out, you know, and, and spell it out a little bit more directly than I, I typically might. So, but I ask for permission. Right. Ahead of time. Now, right. once I know that person and I know that's what they want and afterwards, if I feel like, I need, okay, I need to push this a little bit more. Afterwards, I'll say, hey, I want to check in with you. I was a little more aggressive that time. How, how are you doing? 
And, and but that's that's once I know myself, and I also know okay, this is what works for them. Mm-hmm. But I, I always give opportunities to say yes or no, and uh, process afterwards. You know what that was like, and I'm, I'm not like swearing at people and <laughs> telling them to get off their ass and make some change. Right. It's like no, it was, but it's, I didn't you know, assume th- it's a lot of times such. you have to say like. Like this is you said your goal was this. It's been a few weeks and that's not happening. Like what's we we have to look let's, at this. What's going yeah. on? What's what's the obstacle let's here? It. It, it might be something that simple, and you know that's what it could sound like. So ask for permission. Process afterwards if you're doing something that's maybe different. Um, allow opportunities for the client to reflect. That's all within the norm, I think, and the things you laid out of mm-hmm. trusting your gut. That's that's not a problem. I, I don't think whatsoever. But but you have to have the, I think those uh, pieces of self regulation and empathy and values and boundaries morality basic morality (laughs) so remember these pieces we've laid out of the power dynamics and potential abusive kind of stuff and i'm not saying like physically abusive i'm not saying she's like overtly intending to be abusive or this is i'm I'm, like i'm not hopefully that makes sense but just keep those things in mind so jennifer goes on and says she told me that she was taking a pretty big risk doing the work she was doing with me and that she could get in trouble for it but that I was, quote unquote, worth the risk because I was special. It was implied almost from the beginning of our relationship that I was to some degree responsible for her well-being in a sense. Mm. I was, to a certain extent, responsible for her career. She used to tell me that she didn't normally interact with students between sessions, but that she made an exception for me because in her own words, you are precious to me, babe. You really are. That's shaking your head. What's up? Gosh, there's so many things wrong with that. There's so many things wrong with that. A a therapist's actions should never, ever, ever, ever be construed by the client as their responsibility. Ever. Oh, gosh, there's so many things wrong with that. That's just. (laughs) I can't can't even with that. I need a minute to process. That's fine. So this is more manipulation to me. This is emotional pressure on someone who mm-hmm. is already emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And now this is um this is like a I don't I don't have the language for it, so I'm gonna do the best I can. This is like a, a manipulative tactic to where you get the person's buy-in. Like now you're a part of this. Mm-hmm. You are now because like the therapist is there th- yeah, perfect. So the therapist is making it clear that I'm acting. So they, they've pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And now saying I'm acting out of my bounds. And it's your fault. But Right. So my unethical behavior is not just because of you, but it's on, you're, you are a part of it. You are now wrapped up in this with me. And that, for someone who's in a very emotional place, is going to be extremely, well, uh, confusing, uh, just to put it mildly. But like if they choose to speak up, if someone who chooses to speak up or I'm sorry, not chooses, but if someone wants to speak up and, and get help, this is now a mental obstacle they have to overcome because, well, what if I get in trouble too? Mm-hmm. Or the or another mental obstacle of, well, if I do speak up and they lose their job, the guilt. it's because of me. Right. Guilt, yeah. So it's kind of like now you're a part of this and there's the mental obstacle of overcoming this really dumb idea that has been implanted in someone. Uh-huh. And I, I don't, I think it's accurate to say implanted. Yeah. So it's like that. There's these levels that this that someone has to get through before getting help, right? They have to now deal with guilt and deal with thinking that they're a part of this and deal with um, all that. So it's like it's just setting this person up to not get help and to stay wrapped up in this extremely toxic mm-hmm. and manipulative relationship. Well, and kind of bringing back some of the other stuff we said. On top of it, this person has learned that they are virtually powerless in their lives. And the only person that can solve their problems is right. the therapist. And, and, and again, it's the cycle of like, she's the only one that can help me. She's the only one that can fix me and fix my life. And now I've, I've messed up her career. And if I say anything, just everything that you just said, you know, Oh my God, that's, <laughs> it's just like layer upon layer upon layer of manipulation and, and, just unethical behavior on the part of the therapist. And they're hooking that person into it. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's by not speaking up about it, you're kind of 
and I, I don't think this, but by not speaking up about it, you're kind of acquiescing. You're saying, yes, I'll be a part of this. Right. Now, I don't think that's true. I don't think the person wants to be a part of it or someone in this type of relationship. Right. I don't think they want to. It's not like they are acquiescing. But, it, but, but at that point, how do you, like as the client, what do I do? Right. What do I well, say? Well, and as time goes by, let's say, let's say a couple months goes by and it's like, well, I haven't said anything and this has been going on. So maybe I am okay with it or maybe I am a part of this or I, that's that silence is being manipulated. But like now you are a part of this. Now, the other thing here is the special specialness. Very manipulative. Yes. Telling someone that they're special. I mean, it's maybe in and of itself is not a big deal, but in this type of relationship and when you say that I'm acting unethically because you're special. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I don't know how else to put it. it it's manipulative. It's f-ed up. I don't know how else to put that. But it's like anything positive about you that we could build on. So it's like, okay, if there is something, and I don't think telling someone they're special is a therapeutic intervention. So there's that. But if there is something special about this person, something positive, something unique to make them who they are, let's build on that. That's a good Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. But instead, you're saying, I'm acting unethically because of that unique, positive, beautiful thing within you. A special thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, again, these like layers of distortion and manipulation. And any avenue of getting help or getting out of the situation is being manipulated or, or tainted. Well, and another level of that is that the therapist is personalizing it. You are special to me. You're precious to me. Mm. And, mm. and I mean, anyone who's listened to any of the bad therapy episodes knows that <laughs> a therapist's personal desires personal ideas not ideas but i guess desires should not do, do not have a place in the therapeutic relationship they just do not yeah. the point of the therapist is to be 100 percent there for the client and whatever the therapist wants as far as the the relationship or or the goals oh, or yeah. anything that doesn't matter what matters is what the client wants and what the client needs absolutely all right ready to move on ready here? What's next? Jennifer says. Yeah. Jennifer says, we shared so many intimate moments, both emotionally and physically. She held me while I cried. I know you're shaking your head. She held me while I cried. She stroked my hair like I was a child. She always told me I was special and precious. And I allowed myself, like an idiot, to believe that any of it truly mattered to her. Eventually, I said I love you back. Out loud. It was really scary. She held my hands looked me in the eyes and promised me that she would never leave me in pieces. And then she did exactly that. Holy crap. What? (laughs) Poor Jennifer. I, okay. So constant pushing of boundaries and then you get the person's, I don't want to say buy-in, but you get them wrapped up in Mm -hmm. it. Reciprocation. Saying I love you back. Being quiet about things. And now again, I really want Want this to be clear? I'm not blaming, right? The, right, right, the right. client in a situation like this. I'm not doing that. It's not her doing. Jennifer didn't do this, right? The so I'm not saying that she's actually agreeing, right? Right. I'm not saying she's actually agreeing to this, but I, I think in the mind of someone who's um, the perpetrator, the powerful person, like, oh, you're being quiet about this. Okay, now you're a part of it. You said I love you back. Oh, now you're definitely wrapped up in this. Sweet. So it's like yeah. this constant. Yeah. Gosh. So uh, let's let's talk about uh, therapy norms here. Is it? What do you think? Is it n- okay, or within the norm to make a promise as a therapist? No. I don't think I no, ever have. I don't think I ever would. Because there's no way that we can guarantee that happening. If, even if it's even if it's a pretty mild promise, like I promise, I don't know. I I promise that I'll have candy on my desk next week. Like even something mild like that. It, I know. I'm trying to. F- to find a super like a inane example, but like, you know, what if I don't get to the store? What if I broke my leg? <laughs> you know, like so many things. And like, it, obviously, breaking your leg compared to candy on the desk is pretty minor. But like, it, the point is, like, you can't make a promise because you don't know. Like, there's no guarantee that you can follow through with it. And and first and foremost, a therapist's word should be should should be followed through on. You know. A therapist's word should be gold. And that means that we have to be very careful with the words that we put out there. I, totally. I'm very careful with my words. I'm I'm very aware of, of what I say. And, and full disclosure, again, I work with kids. Kids ask promises of me all the time. 
Mercedes, will you promise me this? No. Well, why not? Here's why. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, I will not. Or I'll say, or yeah. I'll say, so I'll, I'll, I'll say, I will do my best to make this happen. I hope, to, you know, I hope to make it happen. I plan to make it happen. If something happens along the way, I need you to understand that it's not my intent to break my word or, you know, something like disclaimer yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. But a promise feels, it feels very like a personal relationship. Like you promise. Well, and especially a promise your of, friend will do I'm something. never going to leave you. None of us can guarantee anybody that. Okay, so this is a, a hefty chunk here. She says, my OCD makes me analyze things over and over again until I can make peace with it. I started pulling my hair out after I lost this therapist, and I have been completely bald three times. It's about to be four times oh, now. Most of my hair is in the bin again. I started because of something she said, actually. She once told me as she was holding me and stroking my hair. She said, your hair is so soft. In the months after our final meeting... I kept thinking about that statement and how I didn't think it was true. My hair wasn't soft. In fact, it was frizzy and awful. So I began to pull out the frizzy hairs. I searched for all the hairs on my head that were wrong, and I pulled them out with my tweezers. It was like I became obsessed with making my hair soft. But it gradually progressed into an attitude of, hair is meaningless, everything is meaningless, I want to destroy myself. And then I started to pull hair just because I wanted to pull hair. We've exchanged a few emails since the last time we saw each other, and that was for a horrible meeting with her, her supervisor, and the owner of the mentoring company. So she eventually did speak up. Good for her. And got to arrange this meeting. So we've exchanged a few emails since the last time we saw each other at that meeting. And she says, we've even spoken on the phone a couple of times. I can't get a proper explanation out of her or any kind of sincere apology. I can't move on because I don't feel like I've had any real closure. When she says things like, I'm sorry you feel this way, and... I'm sorry you are still having such a difficult time. It doesn't feel like she is sorry. It feels like she wants to shame me. So in April of last year, I emailed her to let her know that I would be reporting her to the BACP. And that she did respond to. With an angry rant about how I had promised not to hurt her and now I was threatening to ruin her career. And if I was hoping to force her back into a relationship with me, that was never going to happen, etc. I, so first off, good for her for super reporting. good for her. That's that's a humongous thing to do, and I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed by that because that takes that takes the overcoming of a lot of different barriers that she's had to that she's experienced because of this person, because of this therapist. So yeah. good for her. Yeah. That's amazing. And arranging that meeting with yes. the the mentoring company and her supervisor. Like, that's that takes awesome. a lot that's of courage, right there. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So, heck yeah. Goodness gracious. Now we we've tracked throughout this whole team team how this whole time how there has been this emotional manipulation and abuse of power building up boundaries being pushed 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 and this is where it gets cashed in this is in my opinion because now this mentor therapist is inducing the guilt Mm -hmm. like she's flat out inducing Mm -hmm. it she's flat out utilizing pressure and shame and confusion and overwhelm while playing the victim Mm -hmm. and while being shocked like like where is this coming from and hey if you're trying to get something out of me then it's not going to happen and so this is i mean just the emotional manipulation here and this is where it gets cashed in this is where it's like no no like you said you were a part of this you said you wouldn't hurt me the therapist saying it to the um the client like this is where that that like entanglement is is yeah, it was. This is now where she's going to like use it against her to try and get her back off. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot to add to it. I just, I'm, I'm just horrified at it. Yeah. Just the idea at this point, it feels intentional. Uh, up to this point, as as ridiculous as this might sound, there there could be an argument made for for lack of intentionality. Maybe she's just terrible at what she. She definitely <laughs> is terrible at what she does. Maybe she didn't have any malintent. Up until this point, maybe she just is really, really terrible with her boundaries and ethics, et cetera, et cetera. But at this point, it feels completely intentional. You did this to me, like, like you said, like calling in the guilt, calling in the, 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 you know, so-called relationship and connection that they had and saying, you, you've done this to me. You're involved in it. This is your fault. Now, what are you doing to me? How, how can you even say this? And it's just, it's so blatantly 
what's the word I'm looking for? It's just so bad. It's just so mean. And I know these aren't the most elevated words, but it's just, <laughs> it's just mean, you know? No, I, I got you. We don't talk about this stuff. Like, so it's, it's hard to like think of the words and I, I'm struggling also. It's like, well, we don't talk about this stuff and yeah. we don't, I don't have, I, I know that when it comes to like those abuse dynamics, there's more to here. I just like the language for it, but I know that this has a lot to do with, yeah, with like that emotionally yeah. controlling and emotionally abusive kind of flavor to it. I just, but the, what are the words? I don't know the words. So we're just, we're putting it together. I think we're doing okay. Hopefully. So we're on the final stretch here. Okay. One more chunk. I'm so angry. <laughs> I'm just so angry at her. Not Jennifer. It's very upsetting. The, the, no, no, the it's therapist, very upsetting. Because you did, oh gosh, I'm so mad. That she did this to Jennifer. The therapist did this to Jennifer. And it, God, okay. I know. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. So the last thing that the therapist was saying was, um, hey, if you're trying to get back and do some sort of relationship with me, it's not going to work. Okay. So the, so then Jennifer says, I was actually just going to ask the BACP for mediation. I don't want to ruin this woman's career. I just want answers. But I feel like she made me need her. Now I just feel like a discarded lab rat. Like she used me for this quote unquote risky experiment she was doing. But when it went horribly wrong, she abandoned it and threw me away. It has taken me a long time to accept that this woman was in a position of power and that she abused it. I continued to defend her actions for years after she abandoned me because it was just too painful to admit to myself that it wasn't real and that she doesn't care and never did. I needed to tell myself that it was all true. But this past year, I have not been able to keep doing that anymore. I realized that I was just lying to myself. I'm not sure I will ever be able to get over it. Right now, without proper closure, it seems impossible. So that's kind of where she's at. Um, yeah, I don't really have much more to add. Uh, just uh, for me, the final points are we have as therapists a really, really big impact mm-hmm. in in our role as therapists. But also as we stray outside of that role, we have a, a probably a bigger impact. And hopefully, well, it's, it's always in, I think, probably in a negative way. And again, when we have a powerful, dysregulated person, plus a desperate dysregulated person to me that's that's bad news that's a really bad combination and the powerful person is probably going to end up uh, still the powerful one i'm I'm not sure how else to put that but it's just it's a bad combination it is and I, i think it goes back to everything we've said in probably all of our bad therapy episodes but there's so much responsibility that we hold as therapists as 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 healers in the mental health profession so much responsibility and each and every one of us should take that as seriously as we can. And, and like, I don't know how, I don't know how that sounds, but it's just frustrating to me that I, I, I take my ethical guidelines so seriously. Yeah. And my assumption is that every other mental health professional does too, but obviously that doesn't happen. And that horrifies me because I understand the impact my words can have, and I understand the impact my actions can have. And we're not talking about, you know, being a chef in a restaurant or being like, you know, a bookseller or something. We're talking about people's lives. That's, that's what our jobs are dealing with is people's lives and emotions. And it's not something to take lightly. And we hold so much responsibility and we have to honor that. And to, to the character of Jennifer, I say, Good for you for being brave and, and doing what you had to do to get out, taking some steps to, to try and correct the situation. It's unfortunate that it didn't work out, but more power to you for telling your story. That's crazy what she had to go through. It's, it's so heavy. The only announcement is that the episode 101 is coming up and I'm starting a, a series Mercedes called Polyvagal 101. What? Where I revisit the basics and kind of okay. go in depth and see what I can add to what I've already taught, you know. My request is that if you have a bad therapy story that you would like to share, please email me. It's justinlmft at gmail.com. The feedback that I get about the bad therapy stories are they are very, very beneficial. That people see that the situation that they're in is mirroring or very close to the things that we share and talk about on the podcast. So if you have your own bad therapy story, you'd like to share it and get our thoughts on it. You know how we do things by now, how we treat it. Um, please email me, justinlmft at gmail.com. I'm definitely taking new bad therapy stories and I might share yours. 
I do hope you've learned something new through this episode and maybe something that will help you uh, in your own therapy experiences or if you're a therapist, maybe something that you are thinking differently about now. Thank you, Mercedes, for joining me for Bad Therapy. It definitely is more digestible with with you Of course. I love doing this. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye, everyone. This this calls back the the imagery of the battle. I I, I see why she described it that way. What is what is that? That's Jay in the battle. <laughs> Scraping furniture around. What is he doing? Oh, it's a stool. He has a stool. Okay. <laughs> so he can reach the sink. He is so cute. I haven't seen my bestie in a while. Tools oh, or yeah. anything that doesn't matter. What matters is what the client wants and what the client needs. Absolutely. Jay is in the bathroom again. You heard, yeah. you heard our new dog barking in the background. That's Hugs. His name is Oh Hugs. my gosh, that's so cute. Do you have three dogs now? We adopted it. Yeah. Samesies. <laughs> this podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you're experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only.